Right now, 90% of healthcare providers still depend on manual processes. We need to change this stat, stat. At RICO, we capture, connect, and secure unstructured data to unlock the power of your information. This helps providers speed up intake, ensure accurate information, and optimize operations. To us, there's no such thing as TMI. RICO, imagine change. Welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guest is Austin M. Pittman, the co-founder of Blue Norther. Founded in 2019, Blue Norther brews award-winning craft hard seltzer in Austin, Texas, made with real fruit and organic agave nectar. Their seltzers are lightly carbonated, free of strange alternatives and confusing ingredients, and they come in refreshing Southwest flavors like prickly pear, wild blackberry, and watermelon. They also operate the state's first hard seltzer tasting room where they host live music and more events every week. You can find Blue at HEB, Whole Foods, and other retailers in the greater Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston markets. In this episode, Austin chats about what inspired him and his father to create a hard seltzer brand that fit a gap in the market, lessons learned from getting Blue Norther into retailers like Whole Foods and HEB, plus his advice for founders to stay positive and fulfilled in their entrepreneurial journeys. Let's get into the show. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. I'd love to start by getting some background on the career path that led you to entrepreneurship. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I'll start with what happened before Blue Northern. So uh, again, my name is Austin Pittman. I'm the founder of Blue Northern Hard Seltzer. I'm 30 years old today, so I'll kind of take it back a little bit, kind of to the end of college. So, you know, after graduating from North Carolina Chapel Hill, I was in marine biology. I was then in healthcare, uh, did healthcare consulting. I spent some time as an advisory consultant and ended up being the head of marketing at a tech consulting firm up in Minneapolis. Um, so I was spending time marketing for, for tech products, enterprise SaaS, as well as uh, actually selling software to into middle market C-suites. Got it. What about the lead up to starting Blue Norther? Can you tell me about that? I was getting ready to get an MBA at Dartmouth's Tug School of Business. Essentially, I had had my eye on hard seltzer as a category because I thought it was pretty interesting that so many people that I knew, including myself at the time, had been introduced to this new product, Hard Seltzer, which we didn't know anything about. And not only had we started buying it, but we had really started to replace staple products like Bud Light, Budweiser, Coors Light, like those kind of typical light domestic beers were being almost totally replaced by seltzer, which seems like a small thing for one person, but at an industry level is a really big deal, a really big change. That was kind of floating around in my mind. And my dad and I were down in our new family ranch at the time, about an hour south of Austin. So it's out near Luling, like City Market is a really well-known barbecue place out there. Kreitz Market in Lockhart is also pretty close. But um, essentially, my dad was building his retirement ranch. He he had just retired and he was like, let's, you know, we're going to have this piece of land and let's do some work on it. And during one of those trips where he and I were, frankly, just working hard over the weekend, clearing out land, I watched my dad reach down into a a cooler 
and pull out a white claw. And if you can imagine, my dad is, uh, at this point, he's 53. So then he would have been a 50-year-old, like, ex-Marine, pretty, like, you know, tough-looking guy, rancher. You know, he's doing some really hard work. And I see him reach for this white claw. And I just had this moment of cognitive dissonance where I said, you, you should not be grabbing that. Like, what are you doing? And <laughs> kind of asking him, do you, do you enjoy, do you really enjoy that drink, right? Do you, do you actually like it? He said, well, no, but it does the trick. And by, by doing the trick, what he meant was it was light. It was particularly light on the stomach. At that point in time, I kind of started complaining a lot about the poor quality of the incumbent products, right? And it was this gripe that was ongoing. And it was actually my dad who pushed me to say, why don't you try to figure out something to do about this? You've got some time and space. Why don't you go figure something out instead of complaining? And so over the course of those next three to six months, as I was getting ready to go to school, it kind of bubbled up and went from an idea into a hobby. So you had the idea before you went to business school, but it wasn't like necessarily fleshed out yet. It was kind of just a big picture. Like I want to create a better type of seltzer than what is available right now. Exactly. And, and frankly, it was, it was so loose. The only idea at that point was, surely we can make something that tastes better and that uses real ingredients. What were the initial steps you took to turn your idea into a business? In the beginning, it was, it was really just about learning. Tried to read a lot of articles online, try to figure out how do you make something like this? I actually was getting to know a food scientist and sitting down and having a beer with her. And she walked me through the entire process of what commercialization looked like. That was an absolutely a, a key baby step, but it wasn't until much later that we got into things like where do we raise the money from, the strategy, the brand work, like none of that was there at that point. It was just simply, let's just try to learn the very basics. Being in business school while you were starting Blue Northern seems pretty ideal. What were the biggest takeaways you took from your time at Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business, like any resources that really benefited your company? So first of all, I'll say like the, the value is immense and I, I can't say enough good things about Tuck as a school and a community. I loved my time there and the three big things, I actually thought about this a little bit to try to distill it down. Number one was, was broad subject matter expertise, right? So anytime that I had a specific issue I was tackling, I essentially had a worldwide expert that I could go to, grab coffee with, grab a beer with, and ask them some questions, bounce off some, some ideas. Number two, exposure to investors and other founders. And I think probably the most important thing that I got from that community was the motivation and the feedback in that community around me that would just help me keep going, right? Because it's pretty easy when you're getting something off the ground or you're sort of like, why am I spending so much time doing this? I could go get a job somewhere else and I could make good money and I could also have nights and weekends. So I think being surrounded by like-minded people who are all kind of just pushing each other and like really loving what they're doing, it just kept me going. Well, let's get into your seltzer. It's very different from anything I've ever tried. And I was honestly shocked at how refreshing and smooth it, it tastes. There's like no weird aftertaste and the flavors are all really delicious. What was the process like for creating the unique Texas inspired flavors that your brand offers? I'm glad that you liked it. And, and it was great to have you guys over to the tasting room. Um, I agree. I think it's pretty amazing. Dangerous, but, but good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous. 5% alcohol and it tastes like some sort of delicious health juice. Exactly. So a little bit about the process. I think 
for me, one of the most important things was having a development partner who was an actual food scientist paired with what's called a flavor house, who these are the places that have all of the ingredients and have the right tools to develop products like this that can meet the standards that you require. So shelf stability, parameters on pH and all these different things, right? Um, but I'll just go to kind of a general, general approach to development. I think first it was having a vision, right? So we had a vision that we wanted to use real fruit. Um, we wanted to only work with fruits that actually grow naturally in Texas. And then we wanted to use all natural ingredients, nothing artificial. We did not want to use malt. Um, we wanted to like really make a hard line on avoiding a lot of the ingredients that cause seltzer consumers to recoil from other seltzers because in these other products, you can taste just how cheaply made they are. And you can tell when there are non-natural non ingredients, right? So we said, here's the vision. We want to start with this palette of fruits. We know that we need to use an organic blue agave nectar. Like, so give them some general parameters and things that you're not willing to be flexible on. And then from them, we would receive all of these uh, little glass jar kind of things. And we would have these detailed kind of scientific testing sheets. And you kind of rate these products on five different dimensions, make your calls on each of the different flavor profiles, like which direction are we going to go? What else should we try? And it was probably seven rounds, probably more than that, but around seven rounds of iteration to get to the final resting place for, for the formulas. Not a bad job to have, right? I had some friends who, man, shockingly, they were really stoked to sign up to mm -hmm. be taste testers. I, they did it once and they're like, yep, count me in. <laughs> <laughs> so by that point, did you already have the brand name? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, actually. At that time, I did have a brand name. It wasn't Blue Northern. It's called Ranch Water Hard Seltzer, which we now know there, at this point, there are probably eight different Ranch Water Hard Seltzers floating around. But yeah, originally it was called Ranch Water. And at the time it was this super like ultra artsy branding that was supposed to be this, this Austin, Texas ranch water idea. And I loved the name, but we learned that you couldn't patent that name. Hence why there are now so many out there competing for the same customers. And so we went to the drawing board and I must have come up with 400 different <laughs> names that involved like, I don't know, Cactus Cooler and all these, you know, just random like Texas related names and ended up coming across Blue Northern because I knew that we wanted something that was kind of old school cowboy. My dad brought up this idea, this Blue Northern. Um, it's essentially an extreme cold front that happens only in Texas where this kind of blue clouds and cold front will roll down the plains and like drop the temperature by 30 or 40 degrees, you know, almost instantaneously. So it's this ultra refreshing, like smack of cold that happens around here towards the late summer. And so uh, the marketing and branding experts love it because of all of the intrinsic qualities of that, of that weather pattern. Uh, but it turns out no one knows what a blue North is, especially <laughs> not young people. <laughs> so that's, you know, an educational challenge that we're now faced with. But I think many people will find that once they do look up the meaning, it's just such a no-brainer because of how cooling and refreshing your drinks are. Plus, I think the hashtags you use, like hashtag drink blue is super catchy and fun for social media. Yeah. Speaking of social media, actually, your brand has a really unique approach to product marketing. And I would love to hear more about those efforts that you've developed over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I agree with you. I think we do have a relatively unique approach. We, we go really hard on experiential marketing. Our mission at Blue Norther is to create joy through great drinks and authentic experiences. And that's kind of what we've centered our purpose around. Um, what we learned was, and we learned this by, you know, putting a lot of money into the Instagram and Facebook machine and thinking, let's, let's blow it out with social media ads. This is kind of how we're going to do things. Um, we, we did that in the beginning and just didn't see the results. And, and frankly, at that point, you're competing with capital, right? Like you're competing with all the biggest brands and seeing who can pump the most ads out. Well, we learned that that just wasn't going to be the right path for us. So we really started leaning hard into experience and saying, what are the things that we can do that the, the large seltzer companies either can't or won't do? Um, so some of the things that we do um, are we throw huge parties at our tasting room. So we opened up uh, the first seltzer tasting room in Texas. It's located down in South Austin, which is where you visited. And what we do is on a weekly basis, we host live music, DJs, cultural markets, yoga classes. These are the kinds of things that we say, let's make a real impression on people and like just create the most amazing experience that we can for a consumer. And at the same time, when we do these things, um, we actually end up making money on them too. So it's instead of as a small brand, losing a lot of money on Facebook, Instagram, billboards, all these things that are you know, great if you can afford them, but that don't generate direct return, we've started leaning into a model where we say, how can we provide an amazing experience for people that's, you know, good enough that they're willing to pay to be there um, and they still get great value, right? So in Austin, um, obviously very social city, but if we can give people uh, three hours of an open bar for $30 and that whole time they're having like the time of their life drinking our products, maybe buying one of our hats or shirts, um, telling a lot of their friends about Blue Northern. I mean, it, it really has an outsized impact. So we kind of our approach these days is, it's really a three-pronged approach. And this is kind of our new marketing playbook is one, create, create these amazing experiences, drive customers to come and join us at an in-person event. We then pick up uh, their cell phone number and their email and then let them know when we have more events or when there's a specific offer for them. Uh, part two is we work with these large Instagram accounts, like similar to when we're what Austin, and we partner with them to promote these parties or to promote a, a retailer giveaway or something like that. Uh, and then part three is we get into stores and just do the groundwork of sampling our product as much as we can, because we believe it tastes so much better than the competitors. So I think it's, it's really a very scrappy approach and it's an approach that is really targeted at being successful where we need to be and also creating a kind of an unforgettable experience. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's genius, especially because on social media, like if you do have an ad, people are scrolling so quickly. So they might just see it for a couple of seconds and might not remember it to where like, you know, I went to your tasting room, I saw live music, I had drinks, you know, you had a cute dog there. Like it was a whole <laughs> experience around the seltzer instead of just me seeing a picture online. Absolutely. What has been some of the feedback that made you feel like really excited and fulfilled about the company that you've created? There are two groups of feedback that are, that are probably my favorites. Um, the first group are the seltzer haters. These are <laughs> typically males that have this feeling in their bones that they hate hard seltzer. 
and they're easy to spot because whether it's in the tasting room or um, out at like a Whole Foods or an HEB doing a sampling, these guys are very reluctant to come up to us. Like they have their arms crossed. They're probably being dragged by a significant other who loves seltzer to come up to us, right? And, and these guys will typically say, listen, man, I hate seltzer. I just want you to know that. And I'm like, <laughs> these, these are some of my favorite guys because I'm like, I'm so glad that you said that. Let me change your mind about seltzer because this, this is the first hard seltzer that is really made for a craft beer drinker. Um, and getting those guys to take that sip and watching these, you know, watching their eyebrows go up and watching this like great reaction where they're like, oh my God, this is actually good. And they're very surprised by it. Um, and a lot of times the, the way that feedback comes across is like, all right, man, this is actually pretty good. You know, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. like effusive, but mm-hmm. you can tell you've turned them. I, I, so that's class one is like turning a seltzer hater because they hate every other product in our category and, and turning them onto Blue Northern. I love that. And then part two, we get these super fans that will say, this is my favorite drink I've ever had in my life. And there are a few reasons for that. Some, some folks are um, uh, notably celiac disease. We've had in the, probably five or 10 um, folks who suffer from celiacs who say we're the first seltzer that is truly gluten-free and, and will not cause their stomach to react at all. Um, and on top of that, it's delicious. So we, we love that, but, um, I've had a few people like yell or scream inside, inside the store during a sampling because they're so stoked. That's awesome. Speaking of doing these tastings inside retailers, I wanted to talk a little bit about your retail distribution, what that looked like from the start to where you are now. When did you begin to see momentum in the retail distribution of your seltzers? And what was that growth like for you and your team? Yeah, great question. Um, it's been, it's certainly been a roller coaster ride over the last two years. So the way that we started, um, we kind of had this expectation, everybody that tried the product in the beginning, the early days, we all thought this thing was going to be a rocket ship. Everyone's like, man, as soon as people try this, they're going to be like yelling blue Northern from the rooftops. Um, turns out that doesn't really happen. Um, but what happened in the beginning is HEB was actually our very first customer. Their buyers tried it absolutely loved it. We were able to generate a lot of excitement and a lot of interest and ballooned up into about a thousand stores across Austin, San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. That was super exciting for our team. And we were like getting ready to scale up and we were kind of going crazy on spend, et cetera. And what ended up happening is we learned that we expanded way too fast. We blew up our distribution far too soon before we really knew who our core customers were, uh, where our product fit best in in kind of the retail environment. And frankly, we were just in too many stores before people had a chance to learn about who we were. And that was kind of this dangerous story that I've heard over and over from other founders is like initially expanding too fast. We kind of, you know, also dealt with the introduction of a lot of new products from companies like Togo Chico, Carbach Ranch Water, lots of new launches by Truly and White Claw, et cetera. So we got rid of the Houston market and we, we sort of dropped out of San Antonio. And um, I really tried to refocus us on Austin, Texas, only in the stores that are the most successful for us, right? We are expanding in a much more healthy way. We are now finally gonna reopen the Houston market and really excited to say that we're gonna launch in 
every Whole Foods in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, and Fort Worth right around now. So like technically it was supposed to be done by mid-September, but uh, you know, in retail world, things will get pushed back a little bit. Well, congratulations. It's not easy to pivot, but it sounds like those were valuable growing pains for your business there. Um, By the way, actually, when I was in your tasting room, I noticed you had a bunch of awards on display for your seltzers. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about them. The giant medals that you saw at the tasting room, those are coming from two key competitions. And these are the two biggest spirits competition in the U.S. So one is the San Francisco International Spirits Competition, Mm. and the other is uh, the New York International Spirits Competition. They're the largest, the most heavily competed in. Uh, They're the most professional. So, you know, they use um, all professional judges in blind taste test situations. We've won awards in everything that we've entered so far. So we've entered San Francisco two years now and New York one year. um, And we've taken home a slew of medals in those. And then the one that you didn't see up there is um, Seltzerland, which is a sort of traveling seltzer festival that happens across a lot of major cities. That is also judged, but only by the consumers that walk through. So let's say you have 25 different seltzers that are lined up in tents and all of these people will walk through each of the brands. And then at the end, they fill out a card to say what they like best. And we have performed incredibly well at Seltzerland to, you know, coming in as like the best independent seltzer, number one brand experience, um, which, which is pretty exciting, even though, you know, after visiting 25 seltzer tents, I don't know how reliable <laughs> these people are. <laughs> right. You'd hope you'd be like maybe the last one they taste, right? So they'll remember. Yeah. We, we always tend to fall in the middle. So I'm like, man, we've got to really do something to be memorable because they're going to have 10 more seltzers before they vote. That's so funny. Yeah. I'm sure like the accolades, the great feedback is one of the most rewarding parts of what you're doing. But I'm curious for you what your favorite part of running Blue Norther is and what has been the most challenging. Oh, man. This is a, this is a big question. <laughs> um, I think on the personal side, growing our team and just the personal relationships, this is a very relationship-driven business. And obviously we have a tasting room. So much of our brand is built around experience. And like that experience is almost all created by the people that we bring into our team. And that is such a major part of the alcoholic beverages industry in general. And also a great network of partners and collaborators. Um, And that has been a lot of fun. You know, we've grown a music festival. We've, We've done so many different things and we've supported a lot of local artists and creatives and musicians. And um, it's really just built this super vibrant, interesting, diverse network of, of friends of the brand um, in addition to our team. So I think that certainly that's been the most rewarding on the personal side. I think on the business side, something that, you know, this is a really challenging business. And I think um, something that listeners should note is the beverage industry has a particularly high fail rate even higher than most startups. So it's basically, it's very capital intensive. There's intense competition. There's high power on the side of the distributors and the incumbents. So it's a really challenging business to be in. So I think like on the business side, it's been very rewarding that we've been able to see some success and also outlast a lot of other, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies that sadly 
have not made it over the last couple of years. And it's really satisfying and really something I enjoy that we have figured out ways to be scrappy and created a product that people really love and are, and are finding a way to survive amidst this, you know, just wild amount of competition. Yeah, that's incredible. You mentioned maintaining a scrappy mentality. Can you tell me more about that and what the benefits of it have been for your business? So one really clear way that I've maintained this scrappy mentality is when you have investors that say, hey, it matters how much money we're burning. And there's a market need that says we've got to stop spending so much money. So I got really snapped into place and got just very focused on efficient growth and how to be really efficient with all the capital that we're spending. I think starting to bring our team along for the ride and just sharing with everyone, public markets are not doing well. And that means people are a lot less willing to dole out cash to a a cash burning startup. So I need every single person on board to help us find ways to spend less money while still continuing to provide a better experience for our customers, because this is going to help us survive for the long term, and it's going to help us thrive. That's great. And I'm sure your employees really appreciate that transparency. Can you give listeners a rundown of what your team and facility look like today? The tasting room is actually a single about 5,000 square foot warehouse um, with a mezzanine and a main floor. And under that one roof, we have all of our warehousing, our forklift, et cetera. We have our office spaces and we have our tasting room and event space. So it's a really unique kind of like the entire universe is under one roof for us. That's here uh, in South Austin in the yard on East St. Elmo Road. Our brewery, we, we partner with a local cider manufacturer here in Austin and they're under a mile away from us. And so we buy up some capacity from them, do our brewing in their facility and then, and then bring all of our product um, back into our warehouse. In terms of the team, what it really looks like today is four full-time team members, 10 part-time hourly team members who run the gamut from brand reps who do uh, events and activations and festivals to tasting room staff who are folks who are on site, you know, taking care of our customer experience in the tasting room. Um, and then we have a small army of kind of outsourced contractors that help us be in a place where we look and, and act a lot larger than we are. This is like some financial back office and accounting work. Uh, this is like the brewing operation side, procurement, as well as some things like graphic design, video production, et cetera. So it's kind of all about, you know, having a, a small team that can then leverage a much larger network of, of resources to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Small but mighty. Exactly. I, I use that term a lot. <laughs> At what point did you bring on investors? Was that after you finished your MBA or when did that line up? Okay. Yeah, it was during. So we we had put a little bit of money in right from the start just to, you know, help us cover the cost of working with these food scientists. Before we could ever do any meaningful work, we had to bring in investors. I mentioned that this is a capital intensive business, but to give you an idea of what that means, in order to brew just the minimum amount that we that we can brew i mean we needed at least two two hundred thousand dollars in cash just to brew the product and like get the product into our warehouse right you're not talking about lease or salary or marketing or anything right it was like that's phase one 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like from the very beginning, we knew we had to have investors. So that was pretty early. It was like the product itself was developed. Like we had the liquid and we had the strategy deck and then we brought on investors at that point. So that was during my first year of business school. Okay. Got it. Shifting gears a bit, your dad, who is also your co-founder, had a successful career leading some of America's largest healthcare businesses before retiring and then joining you in this venture. What lessons in leadership have you taken from him and applied to your business and team? There's so many things that I've learned from him over the years, um, spend a lot of time together. And essentially, he's my first stop for any question that comes up, right? And like, especially on the people challenges, those challenges are really hard to get through when you're a new leader. The two key things that I've learned that have been the most impactful. First one is positive energy is contagious. And this is something that he told me before my very first job interview back in college. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what to expect. Like, and he just said, listen, positive energy is contagious. So you get yourself in a really positive place and whoever you're talking to, they are going to pick up on that energy. And it really does affect the next person in the room. Right. And just the same way that I now know that negative energy can also really infect those around you. So that's something that I think about all the time. I've really thought about it a lot for the last 10 years is like you bring that energy level and you can really raise the level of those around you. So really important lesson. Um, I think number two is take out the trash. The idea is even the CEO can take out the trash. And what that's all about is demonstrating through action to your team that no one in the company is too important or has too big of a title to do what needs to be done. I'm not advocating that you should spend a lot of time as the CEO doing facility services. I'm really saying that showing your team that when something needs to be done, anyone should take care of it. It builds a culture of accountability. And I think that's something that if you don't build, especially as a small team, people will just look at something and say, ah, oh, someone else will take care of it. And when you have a team of, you know, a team of 10, there is no one else to take care of it. You know, if, if something doesn't get done or if you see something and don't say something or don't act on it, then no one will. For me, creating that culture of accountability has been incredibly important. And you see a difference in team members when they adopt that accountable mindset. Like they look at a room in an entirely different way, right? They're looking at more of more as an owner than as an employee positive energy and like no one is too big to do a certain role both of those together create like a really healthy workplace environment where people actually feel valued and respected and they want to show up to work so I think that's great lessons you learned from your dad absolutely and I think what you just hit on is like creating a, a workplace that's really great to work in and making sure that people feel valued and all that stuff it just couldn't be more important because the early days of a startup are not easy I mean, they're not easy. If you think about going back to a corporate job after this, you're like, my God, <laughs> life would be so much easier and I would get paid better. So having, as you say, that, that workplace experience at that level is the only way you can retain people. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, um, one thing I read on your website that really caught my eye was that wildlife, sustainable land use and habitat protection are close to your family and your company's heart. I was wondering if you could tell me more about that and how Blue Norther is supporting those missions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
something I mentioned in my background, like I barely touched on that I had some marine biology experience in the past. I actually worked at Monterey Bay Aquarium in, in California, out in Monterey, which is kind of the world's foremost research and conservation aquarium. And so I have always like been a lover of wildlife. I was a biology major in college and I'm a big outdoors enthusiast in general. And so something really personally important to me is sustainability focused on environment. You know, I, I'm not here to say that Blue Norther is like going to save the world of wildlife in Texas, but we do what we can. Number one is uh, making a hard line decision to never use plastic shrink wrapping or sleeving on our products, which you will find those on a really wide variety of products. And, and if you can, if you have a beer or a drink that you can sort of feel that plastic uh, up on the top of it, you can kind of uh, scrape it off with your, with your nail. You really don't want to drink out of those if you can avoid it, because once aluminum is shrink wrapped like that, it becomes non-recyclable. But we decided to never use those, right? Because we wanted our cans to be infinitely recyclable. Two, we also avoid single-use plastics uh, in the tasting room. If we do have to use plastic, we always use compostable plastic that's biodegradable. We try to make decisions about which nonprofits to support. Try to really focus on two areas. One is supporting live music and live musicians, and as well as artists, so like supporting the creative community. And number two is really on this like sustainability and wildlife focus. So we do try to, to push some donations in that direction. Any efforts, even if they seem small, really do add up and can make a difference. So that's great that you make it a company mission. Absolutely. I would love to close out by asking you to provide a few more words of wisdom. What is your biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? Okay. I think the biggest challenge that myself and that most founders that I know face is maintaining and building your internal energy, right? Because this is not, I mean, in a perfect world, it would just all happen. And like, you would have this fairy tale where you all of a sudden your company explodes and it's all amazing. But in reality, this is a long-term grind of a process, right? And this is not a Monday to Friday, nine to five situation. This is working all the time on, on very stressful issues like making payroll, which causes an immense amount of stress if you're concerned about are we going to be able to pay our people this month, et cetera. So keep the fire going. My big piece of advice is like, you need to find a way to stay positive, stay very healthy and really focus on your own physical and mental health um, and, and to cultivate your energy and drive and like maintaining and keeping that internal fire going is absolutely essential. If you want to survive for the long term. one of the key ways that I accomplish this is Every single morning, I'm up early, have a nice walk with my dog, have some coffee, and then I exercise and I do breath work. Like these are core pieces of life that if I let that physical exercise regimen go, I'm going to suffer mentally, I'm going to suffer physically, and then you see the, the fallout in the business as well. So if you can find a way to keep that internal fire going, uh, I think that'll, that'll really treat you well and serve you for a long time. I love that you said that. It's like... Sometimes the best advice has actually nothing to do with the business and more like, how do you take care of yourself first so that you can apply like your best self, your best energy to that, to the company or whatever you're working on. 100%. So, so well said. And that's something that we and our family 
in my little family unit, just Shanti and I mm-hmm. um, talk about a lot is be your best self. Like, how are we being our best self so that then we can give our best self to these, these things that we want to accomplish. So mm-hmm. I am right there with you. It's the kind of the most important thing I think about. Totally agree. Before I let you go, I would love it if you could let everyone know where they can keep up with you and Blue Norther online, on social media, and where they can find your seltzers. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at drinkbluenorther. Um, you can also find us on TikTok at, at drinkbluenorther. This is a new, a new journey for me as the resident old 30-year-old guy uh, learning about TikTok. Um, and then our website is drinkbluenorther.com. In terms of where you can find us and how you can support, I mean, getting out and trying our product is the biggest thing that we would ask anyone to do. And, and really in Central Texas, HEB and Whole Foods are the two key places where you can pretty reliably find the product. Again, if you are in a store and, and you don't see it, totally ask someone, you know, find the, the local like person that's in the beer aisle and, and ask them for Blue Norther. And if they don't have it, then they can certainly get it. And then the last thing is, you know, if anybody listening would like to come to one of our events, come visit our tasting room, we would love to have you. Uh, I would personally love to get to talk to you and spend some time with you. So the big events are posted on our Instagram. And then uh, we have tasting room hours every week from Wednesday to Friday, five to nine. And then on Saturdays from one to nine, we would love to see you guys in any one of those spots. Thank you to Austin for joining me on the podcast and thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats. Get fast, reliable speeds at home and on the go with internet and mobile from Xfinity. Switch to Xfinity Internet with unlimited data included. Plus, save when you add Xfinity Mobile. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store to learn more. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet.